Good morning. It's good to be uh, with you. I hope you've been enjoying your studies in Ephesians. It's a fantastic book and it's good that you're spending some time in it. I was thinking, however, when I was asked to come, I was thinking that if you were to give me three, uh, give me an impossible task, I think you would have three options. One would be to ask me to swim the English Channel. The impossibility of that lies in the fact that I can't swim. The second would be to sing opera, and the impossibility of that is I can't sing. The third would be to preach one sermon in 30 minutes from Ephesians 3. As I uh, began to to uh, look at chapter 3, I came up with five sermon outlines, not one. And uh, and I thought, wow, you know, I, I hope I can do justice to this passage today uh, in such a short time. It is true, of course, that, uh, that our identity in Christ is a, a very major theme in the book of Ephesians. But I wanted to say to you that the the, the great theme in Ephesians is the church. Ephesians is about the church. In chapter 1 we read about Christ, God putting Christ as the head of the church and putting all things under his authority. In chapter 2 we read about Christ being the cornerstone of the, of the temple which is the church. Then in chapter 3 we we hear that we read about Jesus being the great uniting force bringing Jew and Gentile together to form the church. And then in chapter 4 we read about Jesus giving gifts to the members of his body, the church. And then in chapter 5 we read about the church being the bride of Christ and Jesus being the bridegroom. And then in chapter 6 we read about the fact that the church is being attacked by the principalities and powers uh, in heavenly places and that, that we are to put on the whole armour of God in order that we might win the victory. So all through Ephesians, the emphasis is on the church. And chapter 3 is, if you like, a central passage in, in understanding a, a central biblical passage in understanding the church let me tell you why that's important it's important because you and I are left here on earth not because we're still to be redeemed but because we are part of his body on earth that's the reason that's the purpose and God states in Ephesians 3 what his intention is for the church and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But just so you can get into chapter 3, it's a very interesting passage because Paul starts off as if he wants to launch into a prayer. It's like he's, he says to them, let's pray. And then he says, oh, just before we pray, I want to tell you something. It's, that's the way it, it goes. He says... For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles... Oops! Before I pray, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you why my prayer is so important. I want to tell you why the prayer I'm about to pray for you 
is so significant. And so then he goes on and he reminds them, he's already told them once, but he reminds them that he has a special call upon his life as an apostle. And that call was to declare what he calls the mystery of the ages, a mystery that's been hidden from mankind all through the ages and finally declared to the prophets and the apostles in order that it might be declared to the church. And then he says that this mystery is that God brought together, has brought together through the redemptive work of Jesus, the Jew and the Gentile, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one body called the church. And then in verse 10, he goes on and says, his intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His intent was that the church might declare to all principalities and powers in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. Now, brothers and sisters, as I read this, I, I get really excited because I think uh, we do some bad things to the church. We criticize the church. We put it down. We sometimes behave badly as a church. But God has an intention for the church that is above anything and everything else he has ever done. His intention is to declare his love, his power, his wisdom to all the principalities and powers in heavenly places through the church. It's his masterpiece. But when he puts the church up against the principalities and the powers, what does that mean? That means warfare. That means warfare. The church has been called to be his army in a war against the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Make no mistake about it. What happened in the Garden of Eden was just a continuation of what had happened in the heavens many eons before when Satan was cast out as the prince of darkness. What happened on the cross was a continuation of that battle. And what ha is to happen today through the church is still meant to be a continuation of that battle. We are at war. The church was not just meant to be a comfortable place to which we can come. It wasn't just meant to be a place where we could have a social life and we could meet our friends. It's all that. Not just a, a wonderful place where we support each other. It's all that. We've been reminded of that in recent days, Julie and I and our family have been through some, some very deep waters and 
One of the exciting things was to see how the church right across Australia came around us and prayed for us and stood with us. It's all that, but it's more than that. You and I have signed up to do battle in the name of Jesus and by his power against his enemy, the prince of darkness, Satan. That's it. That's it. Whoever it was that wrote Onward Christian Soldiers got it right. It's about a war. And when we forget that it's about a war, then that's why we get so puzzled about why things don't seem to go right. Why there seems to be so much tension and conflict and division in the church across the world. It's because we're focusing on each other and we're focusing on, on doctrine and dogma and, and ways of worship that we're not focusing on Jesus, remembering that we are to declare in his, his name, his power, his wisdom to all the principalities and powers. Have you got that? Because if you've got that, you're going to understand the prayer that Paul is about to pray. This prayer that he's about to pray is not just for for Western Christians who can live fairly comfortable sort of lives. This is a prayer he's praying for people who are going to be engaged in spiritual warfare. If you understand this, you understand why in chapter 4 he talks about the need for Jesus to give individual gifts to the individual members of the body because those gifts are to be used in the warfare to which we've been called. If you understand this, you'll understand chapter 6 when he talks about the need to put on the whole armour of God that we might withstand the evil one. Because, he says, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers in the heavenly places. So we have to grasp this. The church is raised up by Christ, who is the head. The church is his body in order that the victory that he won on the cross will be confirmed and affirmed and completed and substantiated by the church in the world. One more thing before we go on to the prayer because, because now I think you will know why the prayer is important. Our, our battle is not about, not against principalities and powers on the earth. Our battle is not against secular governments. Our battle is not against against leftist atheism. Our battle is not against earthly organizations or institutions or rulers. Our, Our battle is against the one who would destroy the Prince of Peace. 
and his plan. That's who the battle's against. And you know, we can get drawn into all sorts of battles and, and it is true that Christians should take stands on situations. But I want to tell you the biggest issue that we're facing today is not a government that's going to push through gay marriage. It's not a government that's going to push through euthanasia. They're not the big battles. They're just the symptoms that, that, that the enemy is gaining some ground. Our battle is against the one who is behind that. The one who confuses governments. The one who bewilders academics. The one who brings unbelief and secularism into society. That's who our war is against. That's why if you're not in the habit of being on your knees praying for God to, to bring truth, to bring wisdom, to bring unity and all the things that this society needs, if we're not doing war in the heavenlies, then we've missed out on what God has called us to do. We are, are missing the truth. Now, if all that's true, it makes, and I believe it is, it makes his prayer that he now prays very, very significant indeed. He now says, I've explained that to you, so here is my prayer. And he says, I am for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here's the prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be fulfilled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a prayer. He's not saying to the Ephesians, if you pray this prayer, everything's going to be honky-dory for the rest of your life and you're going to be filled with love and you're going to know the love of God every moment. He is saying to the Ephesians, as you go out and as some of you end up in prison and some of you end up being persecuted and some of you end up in prison for your faith, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm not praying this prayer for people who have got the material resources to be able to manipulate their lives so that they can live in certain comfort. I'm praying for people who put their lives out there on a limb. I'm praying this prayer for people who put their lives out there 
and take risks in order that the battle will be driven forward. That's what I am doing. That's why I am praying this. And so he he prays initially that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now I just want to stop and say how would you expect God to answer that prayer? What would you expect to happen if you were strengthened by his spirit in your inner man or your inner woman? What would you expect would happen? That's a good question, isn't it? Now I've spent a couple of weeks just asking myself that question. What, what would I expect would happen to me if God said, oh, I'll answer that prayer in Graham can. <laughs> what do I think would happen? Well, two thoughts came to my mind. One of the thoughts was that, that we are also told in Ephesians, in chapter 1, that the power that we can experience in our lives is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, mean, you mean I could actually experience the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead? Yes. For what? For what reason? That power was given to Christ in the darkest hour of his life. That power was given to Jesus as he died for the whole world. That power was given for Jesus to Jesus as he lay, his body lay in a grave. And that power is given to us who are prepared to die to self and live to Christ. And as we do that, we experience resurrection power. But we don't experience resurrection power as long as we are drawing our life from somewhere else. We must draw it from Him. His grace, His power, His love. And Paul goes on and in his prayer. This is an amazing prayer. He says, so that Christ, I'm praying that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that he is prominent in every experience of your life. Some of you know that. A few weeks ago, um, early in the morning, about six o'clock, Julia and I received a phone call to say that our granddaughter had been taken to a hospital critically ill. For the next four weeks, she lay in hospital in intensive care. She had 12 operations in the first 18 days of that time. And then at the end of the time, she hemorrhaged end of the four weeks when we thought that we'd, we weren't going to lose her. She hemorrhaged and died. 
Now I want to say to you this morning that it would be easy in a situation like that when an 18-year-old girl at the peak of her life is snatched from us by a, by a, a meaningless accident. It would be easy to waver in your belief that God, your Heavenly Father, wishes only good for you. It would be easy, wouldn't it? If, if we were human, wouldn't it be easy? And I, I remember at the moment we thought we were going to lose her early in the peace, I thought to myself, I don't know that if I lost Sophie, I don't know whether I could go back and ever preach again. I was feeling so weak and so frail and so under attack in my own emotional life. But I want to tell you something. God answered his prayer, Paul's prayer for me at that time and for us. And we discovered that our, our, we were rooted by faith in Christ. And nothing could separate us from the love of God, which was in Christ Jesus, not even the death of, the, of a beautiful girl, a beautiful granddaughter. I want to tell you that in the midst of the battle that God has called us to, and we will do battle, Satan will come against you as well as against the church. And it's then, Paul says, you need to know that you are rooted in Christ. Then he continues this prayer. It gets deeper. <laughs> it gets deeper. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Why, why will I need to know that? Why do I need to know how deep and high? It's because there will be times when I live my life out as part of God's army on this earth, when as a church we are declaring the manifold wisdom of God to all the principalities and powers. There will be times when, when I will pay a price for that. There will be times when I will lose for that. There will be times when I will be wounded for that. There will be times when life is not going the way I want it to be. And it's then that I know, I need, I need to know the depth and the height and the breadth of his love. There will be times when God calls me to love people that are unlovable. There are times when God is going to call me to be humbled. His times he's going to call me to forgive. There will be times he's going to call me to accept others and I can only do it if I know how deep and high and wide his love is. Is that right? Isn't that right? And if I, I can only do it if I'm experiencing the depth of that love in my life. But he hasn't finished his prayer yet. 
He says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. I preached my first sermon 60 years ago this year. But I have to tell you this morning, I don't really know what that means. It means more than my mind can grasp. And I'm sure it means more than your mind can grasp. And we must never pretend that we really understand what knowing the fullness, the fullness of God means. And that's why Paul puts in a word so to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think thankfully he will only give us as much fullness as we can cope with at any given time. But it's his promise. It's his promise that in Christ we can live in the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the fullness of the embrace of the Father of the empowerment of the Spirit and of the redemption of the Son brothers and sisters I want to encourage you this morning because we are all part of his body the church because we have been called to declare to all the the, the principalities and powers, the, 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 the manifold wisdom of God, because we've been called to put the armies of Satan uh, into flea mode, then we need to be prepared to embrace this and to pray it not only for ourselves, but for each other. I would hope <laughs> this is a silly thing but I hope it illustrates something I'll hope that when you go home today and you look at whoever you're with and say well may as well have stayed home this morning that was a lousy sermon that instead of criticising me or the sermon you might say let's, let's get on our knees and pray for Graham that he might know the fullness of the Godhead bodily in his life. I hope next time you meet Christian from another church and their doctrine or their dogma is a little bit different to yours, that you'll not just be critical of that, that you'll not just wipe them off, but that you'll go home and you will pray that as brothers and sisters in Christ, they will know the fullness of the love and power of God in their lives. 
I hope next time that you're talking to someone who you disagree with or you have a conflict with that you can go home and pray that for them because that is what we should be doing. We are not meant to belong to a fragmented army. We are meant to belong to the body of Christ of which he is the head. And we are meant to exercise our individual gifts in order for the body to function. But in order to do that, we need to yield ourselves to the prayer that we might know the height and depth and breadth of the love of God and that we might live in that toward him and toward each other.